In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. We lost a few games, tough. That was District 5. Now we're the ducks. Yeah. And the ducks... Yeah. Are undefeated. Oh, right. yeah. Quack. 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 Loft, bringing you some great content. Shane, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How Excellent. you doing, Justin? I'm doing all right, brother. I'm yeah. doing all right. As always, you can find us at the Flock Pod on all those major social media platforms. You can find myself at Coach Justin D on all of those same platforms. It's getting better at that. I'm getting really, really good at saying <laughs> that word platforms. Shane, tell them where you're at, man. You can find me on the Twitter at ShanePotter6 and on Instagram at WakaFlockaShane6. So as many of you may have already seen the news. Oh, excuse me. I just had a... Uh, a little air bubble yeah, a little air bubble. That was weird. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll edit that out. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, uh, we have a little partnership to announce. Um, we were, uh, we actually have. Wow, I'm sick chewing on my words. What is going on here? I haven't been like not in this for a little while. All right. We have go ahead and partnered with WestCoastCFB.com. They are an awesome West Coast college football website. Um, a lot of good duck content on there. A lot of good Pac-12 content on there. Um, so, yeah, just want to let you guys know that we're going to be throwing some segments at you. Definitely want to throw some love their way. Just go click on their website. Go give a couple of their websites a look and see what you think. Yeah, like everything you see on Twitter and all the social medias out there from them. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Yep. Especially not only the Pac-12, but uh, the MAC and the, the WAC as well. Yep. Got some content for some, I don't want to say smaller schools, but they are. They're smaller schools. Mid-tier schools. Mid-tiers, yeah. A little small market stuff. Uh, But doing really cool stuff. A lot of really good articles that we'll be talking about on here. You'll probably hear a lot more of it coming from us than you did before, obviously. Um, But something we're really excited about. Absolutely. uh, it's going to be good for everybody. I it's think. good to have partners in life, Shane. It really does. You know, you know and nothing's going to change. We're still going to bring you the same duck content from the same duck place at the same duck time. Mm, so get well ready said. for that. Yeah, you like that? I, I practiced it just a little bit before we came on. Let's just jump right into it. We're going to start out with some college football content for you lovely ladies and gentlemen out there. Um, we're going to talk first off about one of my favorite incoming ducks. Welcome to the flock, Mr. Five Star Ty Thompson. Yeah, just earning his five-star. Um, this is a per 247 sports. Not only did he get his fifth star, but he's also jumped into the top 40 nationally. Um, with the score of 0.9799, he actually has now become Oregon's highest-rated incoming quarterback of all time. Love it. Love he's it. He's passed Kellen Clemens and Dennis Dixon. Interesting. I mean, you guys, if you know, if you go back and listen to some of our earlier podcasts, that's the first name I threw it after I watched a little bit of this kid. And he is from my Mesquite Wildcats, <laughs> where I lived and coached and worked for a couple of years. So I definitely have a lot of love for that program down there. And like, as I mentioned, this was not a football program for a long time. And Arizona football is in 
intense. I mean, Christian Kirk came from that area also. I mean, this area has put out some really high-level talent. So to see a kid like that go down there and play so well, I think really, really bodes well for him coming in here to the Pac-12. Yeah, and he's... Uh improved his you know his rankings and everything through mini camps and you know going through the, the elite 11 crushed the elite 11 yes so that's a really big thing uh but it will be what doesn't make his path to starting any sooner any easier uh even being the highest rated quarterback in oregon history incoming quarterback tyler shook is currently the program's fifth highest rated quarterback jay butterfield is now the program's sixth highest ranked quarterback and robbie ashford is now ninth and they're going to look great on the bench as Ty Thompson starts for the Ducks. <laughs> and that's no shade at those guys. I just think this kid's that special. He is. He really is. I that, think he's that I, special. I think he is that good as well. And these rankings are, you know, they're, they're not set in stone as far as, you know, the productivity that will be accomplished considering Marcus Mariota was the 16th-ranked quarterback. He's a three-star, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Well, and that's Hawaii football, too. It's and true. I think that's where this kid separates himself because of the way he dominated down there in Arizona, which is, I mean, big boy football up there with Texas, California, and other Florida. And showing out at these camps, too, you yes. know, with, with that other high-level talent around you. I mean, Justin Herbert, talking about local product Sherbert. as far as uh, Eugene high school football is concerned he was the 18th highest rated quarterback coming into the U of O which I'm even surprised he was that high due to Oregon football I mean, right let's be I mean, honest yeah, even at Sheldon yep. it's it's still it's tricky to to crack those you know national rankings when you're coming from a local product and I mean it's also kind of weird how in college sports it, it is harder to come from your local city into a local program and still get the national shine because you almost get I kind of like pigeonholed is just like the local kid going to the local school because of all of that. I well, and that's the classic like, oh, a kid committed to Alabama, he must be a five star. Like right. how many kids go to Alabama and then all of a sudden have their ranking race? So it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, this is similar to the TV ratings argument to me that a lot of people are, I mean, this is a weird tangent here, but stay with me, um, <laughs> that they're throwing out here about the NBA where it's all qualitative. I mean, where, who's making these ratings? It's all, per, it's all perspection. You know well, what I mean? TV ratings have been hit so hard too with streaming. Like, well, I don't know. Who has a Nielsen has box cable. in their house? Have yeah. you ever seen a Nielsen box in your entire <laughs> life? No, I've never seen one. And again, streaming's big. The game times this year have been big. Mm-hmm. Things are just different in the world that we live in right now. So to be trying to compare rate, I mean, I think Simmons, Bill Simmons had a great um, kind of anecdote about this where he was talking about like the highest rated show. Uh, or the no, excuse me. It was the lowest rated show like 15 years ago on um, normal cable TV or normal like regular TV would now be the highest rated television right. show. Yeah. Just because people aren't watching TV as much. It's just no, the way it is. I I'm 30 years <clears throat> old, just turned 30. Yeah. I'm the only person Don't I show know. off in here. <laughs> I'm the only person I know my age or younger that has Dish or like has cable. Has cable. Has, has yeah. some form of watching live TV that is that doesn't include Wi-Fi. Well, and the only reason I have live cable is for sports. Like, that's yeah. the only reason that I pay that evil Comcast Xfinity company well, any money at all. To watch game, it was game one of the Blazers series. <laughs> my buddy hit me up and he was like, he's like, how are you watching the game? I was like, on TV. And he's like, no, 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 but can you like send me the website? And I'm like, no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the one that got blacked out. Oh, no, that was, that was before the playoffs, which I have a way bigger rant about that that I don't know if we can fit into this podcast. Plus, I might drop some expletives if we go in. I'll just say that I tried to watch a Utah game, and that was blacked out in this area. Are you kidding me right now with this? Like, okay. Anyway, let's get back to talking about Ty Thompson. Let's get back to talk. But you can kind of see how these conversations are the same. 
right. how these these numbers can be very convoluted and they can kind of have their own spin on them, similar to some other ratings that we're seeing out there right now in this time of year. Yeah, and again, like these <laughs> these ratings I got from two four seven. I mean, if you go to Rivals, be like you see some slight differences, and as you go from website to website, that includes these high school kids, you will see some slight variance. The one thing we can say for sure, this kid's good. Yeah, he's gonna be a stud. Yeah. I, I will. I mean. This is not a Charles Barkley guarantee. This is like a real, like legit. I don't do this very often. I put my leg out literally and my head out like this for Dennis Dixon when I saw him play in the spring game when he was a gray shirt. Feel the exact same way about this kid. He's going to be special. I didn't get a chance to see Mariota before he played at all, so I didn't really no. have an opinion on him as he came in. I'd love to say I was high on that kid. I'd love to be the, the one who was right, but I wasn't. This kid is going to be special. I saw more tape on Mariota's brother, the tight end. Super than I did. super valid because yeah. his name was known mm-hmm. at that point, too. Yeah, it was like how we saw more tape on. Uh, Seth Curry than we did Steph Curry. Absolutely. He got picked apart a lot, too. Mm -hmm. And that's why he made it to Duke as a senior, I think. Yeah. All right. So which direction you want to go next? Uh, We can go with Jackson Light here. Um, It's somebody who could be paired with Ty Thompson here in the future. He plays center. Uh, He plays both sides of the ball right now. Good friends. Could be really good friends in the near future. They could be. Yeah, they could be roommates. Very close. Uh, So he just earned his fourth star and now is the nation's fifth ranked center. Love it. Um, he's also just been invited. With that, he got invited to the 2021 Polynesian Bowl, and he'll be one of six Oregon players, future Oregon players, in this year's or this upcoming Polynesian Bowl. And that game, you said it's tomorrow? No, that one is in January. Oh, okay. That's he's a playing game. a normal game so tomorrow. So yeah, he's playing with his high school team, uh, Corner Canyon, Utah. It's the most Utah name ever. <laughs> they are playing South Georgia. Uh, Bingham High School. Nope, South sorry, you corrected me. Bingham is now the most Utah name ever. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing Bingham High out of South Jordan, Utah, tomorrow. We're recording this on a Thursday, so tomorrow will be August 28th. It is a Friday. It is on ESPN. It is at 7 o'clock. Um, Quarter Go. Canyon has won 28 straight games. They are currently 2-0 this season. They beat Farmington 49-20 to and Harriman 56 and zilch Last week. Um, those are some beatdowns. And shout out Utah for somehow having football right now. And I haven't heard any cases really coming out from that or any any issues. So I, uh, yeah. I, I know very little about what's going on in the Utah high school football circuit. Like but, most people in the country. Yeah, but it seems like they're going up. I mean, I don't know if they always start this season in August. They do. A lot of the schools like Arizona and some of the hotter states will start fall sooner for some reason. I don't know that why. That seems backwards. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, school starting in Arizona at, like, the end of August. Huh. And they had, like, sports stuff going on even before that. Does it get hotter in, like, October? Nope, nope, not okay. at all. Nope, all not right. at all. Arizona, those states are just a little weird. And I think it, it strangely revolves around, like, the planting, like, farming season, agricultural season also. I think that was part of why it was initially structured that way. Um, but those states also just take their high school sports very seriously. So that's it's just a different level. I mean, I, I've known other school or other states around the country start school at different various times. Uh, it seems like early September, though, is always kind of. And I remember we started, we had football games before the school season started. Maybe one. Year. Yeah. Maybe one. I think about one. I remember one. even when I was at North, that was the way it was. Yeah. yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago. But yeah, so look out for Jackson Light. Uh, he's doing big things. I watched a lot of his tape today. 
blocks really well on the second level. He's really fun to watch on screens. Uh, their offense is very like pro style offense, so you get to see the offensive linemen really dictate the game out there. Sounds like a crystal ball guy. Mm-hmm. And then he plays both sides of the ball. He does a pretty good job. He's not the most athletic kid in the world for you know a D one college football player, mm-hmm. um, but does a pretty good job getting after the quarterback. And you see a lot of those skills kind of translate from defense to offense, especially because he's playing nose tackle or yep. yeah the tackle position. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, fun kid to watch as far fun. as offensive linemen go. So check it out. Football is go back watch on some ESPN. high school football. And speaking of football and just the fun of football, Shane sent me a message today in the text that literally just made me send the Owen Wilson gif of wow. <laughs> um, he wants to talk about punters, so we're going to talk about some punters today. So uh, so buckle up and uh, here's some punting talk. Well, so this I mean, <laughs> if you guys have heard prior podcasts, you know I'm big on special teams. He does love his special teams. That they, is one thing Shane's call very consistent. It special with. for a reason. Yes. And this was something that I guess is the first time we'll kind of break into the WestCoastCFB.com. Uh, there was an article ranking the Pac-12's top 12 punters. Obviously, well, actually it was 13 because the tie there's a tie for 12th with the two UCLA punters. And those were the only two that my boy Tom Snee was above. Uh-oh. Tom Snee disrespect is disrespect. real. So, Put some respect on Tom Snee's name. <laughs> so Snee was a red shirt last year after he had a, an, um, I'll call it a mediocre freshman campaign in 2018. But in that year, he had 22 punts. 11 of them were fair caught. And five of those were inside the 20. Uh, he had you like game, that? You like that? Yeah, he had a game against Cal where he put two inside the 20. And his long punt of the year was 51 yards. So he has the boot. Uh, he's an Australian rules football player converted to punter. Love that. I love it. Was he hurt last year? Why did he redshirt? They pulled him because the one kid was doing both. It was kicking and punting. That's there right. Was, yeah. That's so right. there was... He started the season. I think he punted the first two or three games. And That's then Cristobal they, being crafty with those red shirts. Yeah, and then they benched him. And it wasn't really... Uh, there was like rumors about he might transfer, but then uh, I guess you know you're just saving him for later. Yep. Figured you know we one can more year of eligibility. Yeah. Plus we had Herbert. You know maybe Chris Ball's thinking punting won't be as big of a thing with a experienced quarterback than Perhaps. rolling the dice the next year with inexperienced no matter where you look. Mister Shook maybe. I mean yeah I mean Shook has been the favorite, but I mean maybe there's definitely some. Some rumblings about who should be said quarterback. Uh, and Snee, the thing I really like about him too, he's a big kid. He's 6'3", 215. He has an athletic build. Uh, I was watching a little bit of, I wouldn't call them highlights, but of, <laughs> of him playing football earlier today. He has good footwork with the ball. He kind of, he has the body to where like he looks like he could have that, uh, I don't want to sound like too much of a homer, but like the Johnny Hecker, like kind of just throwing dimes out to the sideline. No, you, you sound like a homer. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Though. Well, I tried not to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I could totally see. I mean, this is no disrespect to the guys over at West Coast CFB, but I'm projecting Tom Snee will be in the top half of the punter rankings. I like it. By the end of... Let's just call it next season. Putting himself out there. I like Wh- whenever it. Whenever next season Whenever is. that is. Yes. Whenever that. Whenever we get blessed with college football again. <laughs> which, you know, we're just, we're, we're hoping and praying over here. Hoping yeah, I and mean, I, it'll, it'll come when it comes. Wishing and hoping, hoping. and praying. Yep. Okay. Um, anyway, um, uh, we, let's move it along here a little bit. We're going a little bit long here early on today. So let's continue our football heavy start with um, some NFL, some fantasy talk. You know, it it's just, it's just a fantasy. 
I actually just before the podcast coerced Shane to come back to the WWFL Fantasy Football League. So we'll have a lot of fun conversations. Hopefully, if the NFL can pull off their season better than what Major League Baseball is able to do right now. Um, so we'll see. But with that in mind that we are going to get a season, um, Shane's got a little bit of a spotlight here on three potential ducks that could help you this season. And then I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive here on them after that. So why don't you throw me at them one at a time here, Shane? So first off, we'll go with the sixth overall pick in this year's draft. Mr. Hometown himself, we've talked about him a lot already today, yes. Justin Herbert, is listed as QB35. Uh, he is rostered in 0.9% of fantasy leagues. He's been added 41 times and dropped 24, so that's good. So is that on ESPN that you're doing that with? That is on uh, fantasy.nfl.com. So okay. that is a combination of a lot of... Oh, awesome. So it's yeah. kind of like a fantasy pros uh-huh. kind of commercial. And okay. it's also said that he was QB 30 in Dynasty Leagues. That makes sense. So if you're looking for a stash, he was rated below Tua and uh, Mm -hmm. Joe Burrows. Mm -hmm. As expected, he was drafted after them. Mm -hmm. But I could almost see him making an impact earlier than those guys because I could see Burrow potentially getting stashed for an entire year. Uh, Who knows what Tua's health situation is. Interesting. A lot of questions there. I could see Herbert playing this season. Um, I think it would take an injury. This is going to be the one of the rare situations where we completely disagree. This is good. This is good. Right, okay, cool. continue. Sorry, yeah, continue, keep um, going. So I, I think that, you know, if Tyrod, he... he Tyrod? Tyrod? I don't know. It, <laughs> it, it really T-T? looks like it's Tyrod. TT? But uh, I've been calling him Tyrod since he was at Virginia Tech, however yep. long that was. I could see him, you know, twisting an ankle, something like that, and I could see Herbert coming in and earning his spot that way, where I could see Burrow them wanting to just completely wait. Interesting. Uh, either that or they're going to start in week one. But I have a lot of problems with that. But that's been a little bit of the MO. So now I'll just go ahead and jump in now. I think that's where I think Tua is a potential week one starter because of the way that they've been taught. And again, this could all just be farts and whistles coming from the, the beat writers and things of that nature. But I really think that they're putting on a lot of good things about his health. He's got that locker room excited. That city and that franchise needs something to be excited about Josh Rosen. You know, they, they need right. something to kind of rally and get eyeballs on that franchise. And I think that's why they took the chance by taking Tua. And I don't think they're going to push him. But I think if he's physically ready, I think he'll start week one. It's I could also see it too. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Yep. So I could also see them starting Tua week one only to bring in Fitzpatrick because you know how much better he is off the bench. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean, so well, it's, just, it's a valid point though to give Tua the chance and at least let him go prove it because he needs reps. He needs reps at the NFL level for them to know right away is this the guy that we can move forward with? Because right. he's lefty, because he's short, they need to know as soon as possible if this is going to be their franchise quarterback of the future. With Burroughs, they know that's going to be their guy. I think now I, don't, I was about to look up who the Bengals. Do you know who the Bengals' other quarterbacks are right now? Do they still oh. have Dalton? No, uh, no, Dalton's a cowboy. They That's have. Right. Uh, he was listed as the thirty-second quarterback. Uh, I'm jumping there now. Let's see if I can beat you to your memory. It's like it's like. Oh, I it's lost so it. Many, it's so boring. It's like Brad. Oh, somebody. Ryan Finley. Oh yeah, there yeah, we go. he's starting. Joe yeah. Burrow, Joe Burrow is going to start for the Bengals. I think that that's the that's the reason why they brought the. Didn't they bring in the passing game coordinator from LSU? Or did he get a different job? Oh, I don't know because they have their head coach was a Ram. Zach Stacy was a. Former okay. Rams assistant. But I could also see that, I mean, and this was something that friend of the podcast, um, your buddy, a uh, guy from um, Zach Neal, oh, was saying yeah. that about the Redskins situ- or the Washington football situation. 
was that like they are aren't in a win now mode. Mm-hmm. It was something when I asked him about Dwayne Haskins. And he said, yeah, in a normal situation, but if a team isn't looking to win, kind of like in a Philadelphia 76ers trust the process yeah. situation, which the Bengals, let's face it, even if Joe Burrows is the rookie of the year, you know, whatever, second coming of Tom Brady, they're still not going to win more than like eight games. At the most. I think yeah. eight games is the cap for them for sure. But I think like you're mentioning, they're in a like house money situation. Let's put the kid out there. Let's see what we have. Let's pair him with Joe Mixon. Let's see if he can get the ball to AJ Green. Let's see how he can play in this offense and what we need to tweak to put around him for the future. I feel the exact opposite. I feel like these there's a lot on that team that needs to be fixed before a quarterback can be put in to be the savior of the situation. I don't disagree with you there. I just think cream, cream, you know, yeah. cash, they're going to put him out there. They're, he's the number one overall pick. That's the way. Th- I mean, Mahomes was in a beautiful situation because they had a legitimate guy for him to kind of sit behind. If, 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 if Fitzpatrick was in Cincinnati, I would agree with you. But I would almost say that they could that Burrow could learn more from watching someone fail in this situation than he could from. And if it was anybody other than Ryan Finley, I might <laughs> agree with you. If Case Keenum was there, if Jared Stidham was there, if Matt Barkley was there, I might agree with you. But Ryan Finley's atrocious. We've seen what it about, over and over again. What about this guy I'm going to talk about next? Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas Raiders. So let me let me get to Sherbert real quick, and then I'll get okay. to Mariota. Okay. Because I think that Justin Sherbert is in a very interesting situation because I've always been a big Taylor fan. I like what he does. He's a game manager for sure. And I think the Chargers are the ones that are going to be in that situation where they just don't want to lose games. Right. They have they, talent. They have talent. They want to get the ball to Austin Eckler as quickly as possible. They want somebody that can throw that beautiful deep ball to uh, – um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. It's not Keenan not Keenan Allen. Not well, the, Mike the, Williams is out Mike, for four weeks. That's the guy yeah. I was thinking of, but they just lost him. That's right. Mm-hmm. So somebody that can make those precise passes over the middle also to a Keenan Allen type, I think that is Taylor's game. Yeah, and then they have Justin Jackson and Ice between the tackles yep. running back. So I mean they have they have all of the tools. I think there. they're gonna they're gonna play this season out about midway. And I think if they're in the mix, they're gonna leave Taylor in. If Taylor's struggling and the whole team is struggling and they're like a, a two and six, yeah, let's go. Sherbert, it's your time, baby. Well, and I guess my my thoughts on it aren't as much that Herbert will earn the job in the traditional fact way over time. You're talking about an injury, which is incredibly possible. Yeah, he's just super injury prone. If you look yeah. at the amount of games he's played in his career, it's like 18 yep. or something like that. He's barely played Holy over pit. a yeah. full season in his like seven years in the NFL. And then a lot of that was he was just the quarterback in Buffalo, and that's just a mm-hmm. t- difficult job for anybody. Yep. Uh, I could just see more Herbert falling into the job earlier than these other guys. And I, I think what you're talking about with Marcus Mariota now is that kind of a situation mm-hmm. where Gruden just... I think he chews on quarterbacks the way he chews on his gum. Yeah. I think he just he just doesn't <laughs> like flavorless. like yeah seriously I think he just doesn't like like normal quarterbacks like the way he talked about Nathan Peterman who's on that roster uh-huh. now the guy who owns like the record for like the worst start in NFL history uh-huh. I I see Mariota if not being the starter coming out of camp being started by week six week six huh. Mm-hmm. And that's why in like my deep dynasty leagues and any league where it's like a super flex league, I'm keeping my eye on Mariota for sure because I think if he does get that job, 
that there is some potential there. You've got Josh Jacobs, who's a great running back, versatile mm-hmm. running back. They've talked about wanting to get the ball more um, in the air. They drafted that other kid, uh, quarterback turned running back, who's a, just a speedster, using him in all kinds of funky situations similar to the way that the Saints use um, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, yes, very similar to that. And then you've got a guy like Henry Ruggs, who's an absolute speedster. And Mariota's not like great at the deep ball, but he can get the guy the ball in short situations and then let his speed do the work for him. And I think Waller, the tight end, will be a, a huge asset. Absolutely. I think Mariota could use him uh, better than Derek Carr would. David Derek Carr. Yep. Um, well, then they've got Terrence Williams. Is that the other wide receiver there that just tore his labrum? There's another that white Tyrell right. Williams. Ty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the other wide receiver uh, there. Western Oregon kid. He's talking about trying to play through a season with a torn labrum. So I think you're going to see Darren Waller go up. I think you're going to see it Josh Jacobs as a wide receiver. As someone that had a labrum torn, that seems almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. So good luck with that, sir. Maybe Oregon he's a lot kid. Than you. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. So Mariota is listed as QB 37. Um, I think a lot of that is just because he's not a starter. But only 0.6% owned with four ads and seven drops. So a little bit behind Big Herb there in the, like the fantasy world. But I, I kind of feel like Mariota is being forgotten about a little bit. Just Absolutely. Tannehill. You got Tannehill. You know, yeah, and all of that. Um, I do think, I kind of disagree with you a little bit with Gruden and Marcus Mariota just because Gruden being such a quarterback savant and... Marcus Mariota not having the best accuracy. I think even at Oregon, some of the passes you see guys catch, they're really catching the ball. He's not sticking it in there in between the numbers. So I think that'll be an interesting dichotomy. But I also can see, like, Raider fans are about on the brink with Derek Carr. And that fan base could turn on him real quick. That's exactly where I was going to go. And I think that Gruden and Mariota will see the game on the same level from an IQ standpoint. Yes, And I think that's where he's looking at Carr being like, what are you doing, man? Like, do you not see this guy's wide open? Do you not see this look right here? Have some cojones and make the throw. I think that they'll have that situation where they kind of have like a mind meld. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, this guy gets me. Oh, this guy's going to run the offense and make the plays that I want him to make that are there that I create for him. Yeah. And I mean, in this year, too, with being like, you know, uh, a season with a lot of uncertainties in the NFL. On the brink. Uh, you know, backup quarterbacks could see more time than any other year ever. So having a deep quarterback room, I think this year would probably be the most important out of NFL history. Wasn't it Bruce Arians was talking about having a quarantine quarterback? Just somebody that was not anywhere around the team, didn't practice with anybody, just kept them in a room. I think that's one of the better ideas I've heard out of the NFL in the last 12 months. Can he just be at practice but he be in a bubble? (laughs) Can we have have bubble quarterback? For anybody that's not seen the movie Bubble Boy... Go watch that, please, and enjoy that during your pandemic quarantine. And our last Oregon Duck to talk about on the offensive end, because most pro ducks in the NFL one of my biggest misses uh, is Rolls Royce Freeman is listed as running back seventy five. Yeah. Now that being said, he's rostered in twenty nine point nine percent of leagues with seven ads and get ready for this. 282 drops. A lot of those drops at better keeper leagues where they were holding on, wondering, kind of seeing, and then they brought in Melvin Gordon. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you look at that Broncos backfield, I mean, Freeman's really got an uphill battle to fight. And that's why we talked about, I think in a, like a couple months ago, we were really hoping that they'd trade him. We were really hoping that he'd get moved. I want to see him in a Seattle Seahawks uniform so freaking bad. I was so wrong about this kid. I thought he was going to come into the NFL and dominate the way he did the Pac-12. I thought his his speed and his physical 
ability to take punishment and dole out punishment were, was going to be a Derrick Henry-like kind of yeah. combination. And he just hasn't been able to do that for whatever reason. I don't know if it's... I don't know what it is. I just wonder if it's the situation. I wonder if he doesn't get the running scheme there in Denver. I'm not sure. I think we got duped a little bit by, uh, as Oregon fans, not seeing a ton of pro-style running backs. And we finally saw one since, like, Jonathan Stewart. We were yeah. like, <gasps> and started just salivating. And I think true. the biggest downfall for him in the NFL has been, like, we've seen this with a few other running backs, where the guys who get a ton of carries in college get a little worn those, down yeah those miles are already put on what well, we saw it was his junior year at u of o where he struggled through injuries mm-hmm. it was a foot and then an ankle right you know and it, he battled and i i that's a valid point he kind of has a michael james situation there obviously very different physiques right but still just the mileage that can add up because yeah. he was a kid that got in high school was very another kid um kid that went to aloha uh Thomas oh, Tyner. Thomas Tyner, yeah. Very similar situation. Yeah. I thought that kid was just going to, and then he didn't even make it through the U of O because of concussions. Yeah, he finished his career as a beaver, yeah, actually. Which is just platypus. Yeah, the platypus. Good old platypi. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Royce Freeman still has some value as a, as a vulture. And again, you never know. He could become RB2 real quick in Denver. I mean, just all it take of Melvin Gordon deciding, you know, whatever. And <laughs> we've well, seen that before. I'm, I'm, uh, Philip Lindsay is also a stud. I mean, mm-hmm. that kid just runs with his hair on fire. Right. So that that little thunder and lightning they have with Melvin Gordon and him, that's where I'm still hoping somehow, some way that the Broncos make a move. I don't think it'll now be to the Seahawks because they've already brought in Carlos Hyde. Mm-hmm. But you know that Pete Carroll has no problem acquiring running backs right, because right. he uses them up like, well, I was going to use something crude there. And I just will go ahead and hit the Nate McMillan bobblehead and we'll move on. <laughs> um, but I think that Freeman's still a valuable stash in Dynasty Leagues, uh, right. valuable stash in deep, deep keeper leagues. But anything under like 12 owner or 12 managers or something like that, I'm really trying not to use the word owner. Um, anything, I think if you're in a 15-team league, I think he's right. a valuable guy to have at the end of your bench, especially if you're playing with two running backs and a flex. And I did see something on the Denver website that said, uh, I thought this was funny, he solidified his role as third string. I was like, well, great. Yeah. Is that good? <laughs> Does that mean he still can't catch the ball and pass block? Because that seems to be the biggest thing that mm-hmm. he hasn't been able to do to really get in good favor there. But the Broncos are just a weird team in general. I mean, this this is the same. Yeah. Right, anyway. And they're, right now they, they acquired a lot of speed. So, right. I mean, sometimes being kind of the, you know, going against the, the trend to on the, the young. Team, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it might free up some things for him where they spread the offense out. He can get in between the tackles a little bit easier, stuff like that. Where right now, I mean, the Denver is basically looking at him like, if you aren't sh- shredding three tackles, then like we're looking at you as a failure. Yeah. And I just don't know if that is who he is going to be. Where else could he go besides the Seahawks? Where else could you see him land and have a favorable spot? Rams need a running back. We're just such homers. <laughs> like I love it so much. We're both um, Chicago with David Montgomery going down yep. with an apparent non-contact knee injury. That could be an interesting landing spot for him. Uh, this is kind of outside the box. Maybe the Giants as a Saquon Barkley backup. Yeah. Um, I like that better than a situation that he'd have in Denver. Um, just a the couple of spots. Could yeah. Use a power back. They could use a bigger back. A um, Atlanta, they could use some Todd Gurley insurance. Yeah, because um, that's not going to go well. Sorry, Falcons fans. I, I have some different opinions. I think he might have gotten a little salty in L.A. I think I think he might have gotten. I, I've I've heard some things. I've heard some rumblings. Does arthritis make you salty? 
I just think he okay. Now we're going on a big tangent. Let's just go and jump into it. I I believe that his their medical staff and he didn't see his injury the same way, and that's why he was going around trying to get all these other. And I think that it's possible that different medical staffs can see things differently. Oh, for sure. Different medical staffs can treat things differently. And Absolutely. I think the placebo effect is real. So I think if he's going in there and they're talking about giving him 15 to 25 carries a game and he knows he's going to be the guy, and I mean, it could be to his detriment. He could make it through week eight and his knee's going to fall apart. Who knows? But I think it could be a steal this year in fantasy. He'll, I, I will say this. He will have a couple good weeks. Yeah. Because there will be a couple weeks where his knee's feeling good in the first half and he's going to stack up some yardage. Mm-hmm. He's an excellent like receiver. I mean, he does everything really well. It, it's just, it just comes down to that knee. And as somebody that has arthritis in their knee already, as an almost 36-year-old, uh, it sucks. And so, yeah, it is something that you do have to manage and really be aware of. Mm-hmm. So hopefully their medical staff can get him in tip-top shape. Getting back to Freeman. I hope the best for him. Getting back to Freeman, I think we can wrap that up by just saying he's a good stash. If you're a Duck fan, definitely. He's a good locker room guy. I always like having those guys in my fantasy squad mm-hmm. that you just feel good about. Um, so definitely, if you if you feel some vibes towards him, he's still not a bad guy to have on your roster. And this year, I'm definitely going to do my all-Oregon fantasy team again. Well, as yes. close as I can get to yes. it. Yes, it's a but difficult I, <laughs> I just I decided something this year, and I don't know how I didn't think of it that last year. Uh, I'm going to open up the league to defensive players. I'm going to throw some of the... Our, oh, do an IDP league. Yeah, so okay. you could also leagues, I could find some people. You could also go any players from Oregon. Just take out the Beavers. Ooh. Yeah, because that would open you up to a couple more players too. But it could be more difficult to track. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a lot of research and sounds like a lot of work. And we're not really about hustling on this podcast. <laughs> we're, we're very, we're very Matthew Berry esque in that way. So, but I mean, still we're running into the same problem. It's just a lot of offensive linemen and defensive players. Uh, yeah. But anyways, yeah, it, we'll see what fun. happens, and we'll, we'll keep see, you up to date. See how the all Oregon Duck team does versus last year, where we didn't win any games. It's it happens, tough. man. It it's tough. brutal when yeah. your quarterback's not starting. It gets tough. If Kenyon Barner would have played more, yep, you know, <laughs> I think I would have had a chance. Could at a say couple. that about when he was here at Oregon, also. <laughs> so jumping back here to some more Oregon content, this is our WestCoastCFB.com article. We're going to cover it this week. We won't necessarily do one every week, but this one just kind of caught Shane and I's eye. It's a fun one to talk about as fans. Um, the top 10 Oregon football wins since 2000. So this is games that obviously Oregon won. So there's a couple ones that get taken off the bat right away. And mm-hmm. then since 2000 also adds a couple other, you know, interesting things. So right. we're, we're not going to like Joey Harrington era. Forward. Yes. We're not going to go through the entire list here with you on the podcast because we do want you to go give that a look. But I've got two games that I think should have been ranked a little bit higher, and I think Shane's got some thoughts on them too. So I'm just going to throw it here to you, Shane, while you kick us off. Uh, The first game that I thought should have been a couple notches higher, uh, sorry Husky fans, was 2018 Oregon versus Washington at Autzen. was a big game. Uh, Just, I mean, it was one of the only games in this list that went into overtime. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think as a Duck fan, it's just so much sweeter being like to upset the Huskies. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Top ten ranking that year. I, I don't know if I value this game more because it was my cell phone wallpaper for a long time, but this Herbert jumping up in, you know, victory. Watching as, Verdell. Yeah. As Verdell makes it into the end zone was so such a photographic moment. That, it was iconic. It really was. Mm-hmm, that I think that game, in my mind at least, up a couple So that notches. game was ranked number 10. So it definitely had some room to come up. Could have jumped over a couple, in my opinion, for sure. 
Do you have a second one, or should I jump in here with uh, another let's one? Go, let's go with you with one. Okay, so mine was actually the number eight ranked game. This was 2002 Fiesta Bowl, number two Oregon versus number three Colorado. And this was a game that I think a lot of Oregon fans thought Oregon would win, but there was just so much salt going into this game because they should have been in the national championship game over in Nebraska to play Miami. They were, they should have had that. I think that was it. I'm just, I just did that off pure memory. How do you, how do you think that would have gone down? Like, how did you feel at the time? And how do you feel about it now? Looking back on it, looking back on the talent that was on that Miami team. I, I still would have just, I would have loved to see it. I'm just one of those fans that I just, sometimes it's just fun to be there. Sometimes it's fun to make it to that opportunity. And it would have been amazing for Joe. That Joey had that team doing incredible things. Right. But I almost feel like because Oregon wins in the festival against Colorado, it makes that season so much sweeter to look back on. True. Rather than if we would have went and played Miami and just gotten wrecked by See, like seven NFL Hall of Famers. I think they would have gotten, I think I would have bet Miami in that game in hindsight. Yeah. But I don't think it would have been a blowout because Ooh. that Oregon team was just, I don't, I just, they were just, they were together. That was their mission. You know, coming in, Joey talked about this openly. That's part of the reason why Oregon means so much to him is he came back. He wanted, they wanted to make to the national championship game. That was their one drive. First time for Oregon. I just, weird things happen, man. Like on paper, yes, Miami looks like the much better team. And definitely in hindsight, the, like all those Hall of Famers. But man, oh man, that Oregon, that, it just had something special about him. Yeah, I think that there's one player that played for Miami that would have made a huge difference. And that would have been... Uh, it really would have shown a lot about Joey's professional career moving forward. And that's Ed Reed. Here. Yep. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> having a ball hawk like that, that was, you know, reading quarterback's eyes at an all NFL level. Yeah. yeah. At, oh, yeah. At the time. In and college. a leader. And yeah. a leader. And that Miami team was me. I mean, that just would have been such a beautiful contrast of coasts, of styles. Mm-hmm. Miami's the bad boy, or these good kids from Oregon led by a piano playing quarterback. <laughs> like, that would have been an incredible story. Like, almost like movie esque kind of a story. I don't think it would have been like the 94 Rose Bowl. I don't think they just would have been simply outclassed. I think it would have been a good game. Yeah, I just think at the time I was really upset about it. I was like, how can the number two team in the nation not go in the national championship? <laughs> oh, dude. I cried. Yeah, I was I remember being a little freaking kid. out about it. I was well, I mean, not a little kid. I graduated high school. But, you know, <laughs> right. I was more of a kid. Um, <laughs> 17, you know. <laughs> I'm a crier. What can I say? I'm a crier. I admit it. But now looking back on it, I'm kind of like, because, eh. I mean, the, the Fiesta Bowl against Colorado was still a really good game. Saw we got trickery. the Marcus Morris run. Or, yeah. No, the Rube- Marcus Morris. Yeah, it Marcus was Marcus Morris. Morris. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the roll run. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the great Oregon moments. On the big screen, everybody goes crazy. And the, those ugly jerseys that I've got one in my closet, like, there, it was great. I, I just, you never know. It was a good you game. Just, you just you never, never know. know. I mean, that's why you play the game. But I definitely think that it's, uh, about 80% of the money in Vegas would have been on oh, my American year. Yeah. yeah, the It would have been like Miami plus 12. Minus 12, yeah. yeah or been, minus 12, yeah, yeah. It would have been easily... <clears throat> if not more. If not more. I could see 17 almost. Okay, your uh, second one. Another one that I said... Well, this was a game that we were both at at various ages. Uh, <laughs> why I keep harping on our your age. Yeah, you're just today. rubbing it in at this point. <laughs> like, just like, yeah, you're old, bro. <laughs> you hit me with it first, so that's fair. Um, it's a game on Halloween here uh, at Austin. Fright Night. Fright Night, Oregon against Ooh. the fourth-ranked USC Trojans. Oregon was ranked 10th at the time. This is a game when Kenyon Barner had one of his biggest games as a duck. 
Uh, USC was coming in with the wide receiver duo of Robert Woods and Marquise Lee, who at the time were just like ridiculous, the most unstoppable one-two punch oh. I've seen in Pac-12. History. And was that a, was that Liner? Two thousand nine, yeah, I think so. It was yeah. either Liner or the. Uh, Let me look it the other up. One Keep talking. Right I'll look it up. Uh, but it was a game. It was a night game. It was Halloween. Uh, it was a blackout was crazy. where, you know, everybody in the stadiums. And a lot of times now, like, you see these, like, color-coded games where all the fans wear the same color. Like, this one was legit. It was Barkley. Oh, really? It was Barkley's freshman year. Okay, cool. That's that right, because we were all making That's right. I remember uh-huh. that now. <laughs> uh, but the whole stadium was in black. Like, the the blood alcohol level in the stadium was, like, 0.92. Unreal. <laughs> it was... It was big. I it was my freshman year in college, so I was actually I dual enrolled at Oregon LCC. So mm-hmm. I was like technically a student. wasn't a student section though. Didn't have tickets like that. Heyo. Um, but yeah, that was just a game that was just a ton of offense. You know, USC came in with just this powerhouse Southern California team, and it was kind of at this point. I think is when Oregon really put like the nation on notice that yeah. like this team is legit. We can hang with these teams. Even though we had this Chip Kelly spread it out style offense, we could still use it against these teams that were more the traditional style football teams. Like the Washington game was Cristobal's kind of coming out party. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this was one of Chip Kelly's coming out parties. I mean, some redemption from the 2008 Boise State fiasco yep. and things like that. This was a this was a fun memory for me. Very fun memory. I was a degenerate for the first half. I was out in the parking lot causing some shenanigans. And um, at halftime, actually sweet-talked my way in past a lovely um, security guard at the gate uh, who was nice enough to let me in the game. And it was, I mean, the whole, I mean, you felt the energy walking into the stadium. It was pitch blackout. It was one of the darkest nights ever. Like, it was just weird. You're, you're, you're like, oh, yeah. remembering that, oh, yeah. too. I remember it just being so dark out. Normally, like, those late games at Autzen, you get so many clouds. It didn't rain. No. It was just, like, Like, clear. no stars. It was yeah, weird. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a trippy night. and Ominous. It was a very ominous evening. It really was. A lot, of, a lot of Duck fans wearing black, which was kind of a new thing, like the Fright Night um, hoodies that and shirts that everybody mm-hmm. was selling. They were rocking those. Well, now I remember that era, too. That was like the uh, I Love My Ducks and then the Return of the Quack shirts. Yep, yeah. Those were very, very popular in vogue that still. time. Yeah. Yep. It was that game, and that's one of the ones where the game itself, I couldn't tell you, like a big play. I couldn't tell you, like, really what, but the, just the energy of the stadium and just being there as a part of it was incredible. I think that was the game where Kenyon Barker <laughs> had, like, 200, 255 yards and five touchdowns or something. I think Kenyon Barker, that was, like, the his – he has one game that's, like, statistically just insane. Yeah. And I think – I might be remembering it wrong, but I think that was it. I mean, Oregon won the game – do, do, do. Uh, 47, 47 to 20. 20. Yeah, so. Blew him out in the second half, if I remember correctly. It was tight early yeah, on. Yeah. Because I remember that it was just crazy after that. And the parties that evening were Oh, excellent. boy. I can't even. Not on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's for the, the Patreon version of the Flock Pod coming to you soon. Um, but, yeah, those are, the, those are the games that I have a main qualm with also. I think um, the Kansas State game, you know, and the Michigan State game were big ones also. But definitely go check out that list on West Coast CFB. Dot com. Uh, shoot us um, anything on Twitter or Instagram if you guys have any thoughts about it. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that lovely list put together. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to give you some basketball coverage here. And uh, then we're going to call it a day. We'll be back. 
And we're back. Um, we're going to jump right into some WNBA coverage here for you. You know we love our lovely ladies playing in the WNBA and our especially our former Ducks. Never former. I keep saying that. Never former. Always Ducks. Once a Duck, always a Duck. Always Ducks. Um, starting off with some Ruthie talk. We'll do some Ruthie Some first. Ruthie talk, yeah. Um, so we are at, let's see, we're about seven games left in this season. Okay. Um, no games being played today. Uh, the three games that were scheduled for today were postponed as League well. League made a statement yesterday also. Mm-hmm. With, and if you haven't seen that yet, definitely go check out social media coverage of that. Really cool. The, the WNBA has been leading the charge on these social issues from Absolutely. the get-go. And uh, we've talked about that at length on this podcast. Yeah, I love everything that they're doing and what they're continuing to do. Uh, but so with seven games left in the season, Ruthie Heber playing for the Chicago Sky. They are 10-5 and five this season. They're currently sitting at fifth overall. So they are going to be a playoff team. And Ruthie Heber's stats have somewhat reflected that lately but she's had some really really productive games um in her last five games she hasn't she's only gone over 20 minutes once but she's shooting i mean let's see uh last game she was three for four with six points before that one for two for two points in the game where she went over 20 minutes she was five for seven 11 points so she's missed a total of like four shots she's missed (laughs) one two three four five six Eight shots in the last five games. That's very Ruthie. Yeah. Um, she's doing you know all of the things that she's ever been asked to do. A lot of things that she's been doing that she did at Oregon are transferring into the pro-style offense. Um, it's kind of hard when you're on that limited minutes because you want to be very selective with your shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, though, you also want to go out and get yours. So she's kind of been put in a little bit of a limbo. And especially with the Chicago Sky has a lot of... Uh, they have a lot of height and length and uh, very skilled ball handlers for in the bigs. So she is a little bit behind the ball there. Um, the ball handling is going to need to improve, especially what they ask her to do a lot of is dribble handoffs. Very and, Jokic-esque, yeah. And where, they've, where I've seen her kind of struggle is if the who she's setting the screen for can't come and get the ball cleanly, it kind of freaks her out and she puts into kind of a weird spot and then doesn't really know how to get the ball from the position that she's currently at. Well, a lot of that's on the perimeter where she's not really, I mean, she's used to setting a pick on the perimeter and rolling. She And she can handle the ball very well on the interior. She's a great passer, you know, kind of within the key. We saw her and Satu have some great chemistry there. Mm-hmm. But when you bring her out of that comfort zone, you're right. It's going to take her a little bit of time to get the footwork down, to really feel. I mean, because you're you're putting the ball on the ground against the the best women athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's I can understand. And these perimeter defenders are no yeah, show. and a lot of them are trying to fight through a lot of those DHOs also. Mm-hmm. And within that, I mean. One thing that she, you know, made most popular at Oregon, I'd say, was the pick and then the deep roll. Yeah. And that has not really been there as much. When she goes on that short roll and then can, like, use that one dribble to get within, like, six feet from the front of the cup, then she's really, that's when you Mm -hmm. see her hitting those shots. You still see her a lot, hit that pick, and then just roll, roll, roll. She does it all the way to the front of the rim. And then even when she gets the ball down there, you're in a land of trees. Ruthie's, you know, 6'4", but there's some big women out there. These are athletes. I mean, these are professional athletes, so she's going to need to take on more of a Draymond Green-esque role mm-hmm. on that short roll and be a be a playmaker where she can short roll, catch that at the elbow, and then hit either corner with a bullet pass. Right. And she's just not getting as many looks just in the traditional post spot. Yeah. So, I mean, when she... And she's, she's not going to. That, that's something not. that she needs I mean, to get used to. It's something that when she does get it and she does go for that left-right fake move, 
it works sometimes, yeah. but it's only going to take, you know, a little bit of film for everybody to know that. Well, and one thing I've really noticed about the WNBA is it's similar to college football where a lot of the teams have very specific schemes mm-hmm. that they play. They have a very specific style of play where when you're watching the NBA, a lot of it kind of flows and looks the same. I mean, some teams are running split cuts, some teams are running some other stuff, but it I mean, you can really tell the contrast in styles when you watch the WBA, and that's part of the reason why I find it so much fun. So Ruthie's found herself in an interesting position because she's landed on a team that doesn't necessarily fit her comfort zone, but it's going to force her to really grow as an athlete, and I think overall she'll become a much better basketball player if she can take those steps. And she's shown that she can be a gym rat, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. Just give her some time. And when she comes in with the second unit, normally it's when the game kind of slows down regardless of what team you're on at all. So it it is kind of nice for her in that aspect because you can get a little bit more half court, and I do see some value with her as like a rim runner in a more up-tempo yeah. style mm-hmm. uh, i just don't think she's comfortable there yet well and she's gotta get the athleticism up to a point where she can be that rim runner where she's beating the other team's bigs because mm-hmm. right now a lot of the games that i've seen her watch I haven't been able to catch a lot but i think the two or three times i've seen her she's been the one trailing the defending big as opposed to leading the defending big where you want her she really hangs in there and box out for a long time too which doesn't help the rim running aspect mm-hmm. but it is something that's gonna help what she's team. used to yeah she's used to being the gritty grimy do everything in the paint dirty player been letting everybody else get the shine and now she's got to have to kind of come out of that shadow a little bit mm-hmm. so jumping into a player that's definitely not been in the shadow um the number two overall pick in the WNBA, satu sabali has been balling out Ness- yep. i mean for a team that's maybe not having the success i mean i think they kind of expected a season like this but her performance is not indicative of getting wins and losses right now for the squad. Well, the team as a whole is very young, and they aren't really, I mean, they're playing to develop. They're not really playing to win games. Well, and they pushed the Aces to, mm-hmm. what, a five-point game the other night, and that's one of the better teams in the league, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. They, yeah, they were yeah. top three team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that basically the WNBA is split into like three tiers. There's title contenders, good teams, and bad teams. Let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. I think title contenders, I'm just going to name these. I think it's the Aces, the Mercury, yep. and the Sparks. Yep. Those are probably the three top teams in well, WNBA right now. Seattle Storm's number one. Oh, yeah. yeah. So those, has something those to four say about teams. It. Yeah. <laughs> All West Coast teams. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brianna Stewart's having another uh, MVP-like season. Sue Bird is not messing around. Yep. It seems like she's kind of come in in that late. She has like, kind of like that... That like late Kobe mentality. Oh, she's angry. Yeah, I want some of the dub. I want some of the wobble coverage of just what's going on in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. I just need a camera, just a live stream of that all the time to see some of this mean mugging that's going on. And can I just say, can we just pour one out for my Washington Mystics? I'm not sure what's going on with them this season. Elena Deladon, you're still. I love you. Keep keep going I mean, out, girl. They still played some pretty good basketball. They're just they're just, they're just missing a lot yeah. of talent, and yeah. they're just not very deep. Their second unit struggles a lot. Where. Uh, back to like the tiers, though. I think Chicago is kind of like on the top tier of that good team yep. uh, bracket, that and next I think kind of... I think Dallas is the best bad team in the That's WNBA. A good way to put right it. Now. Yeah, uh, they just, I mean, they're rebuilding. They this is what they want. Yeah, they just they, they they end up playing the game that the other teams want to play. Yep. And but Satu Sable, uh, I mean, we've seen her kind of go up and down with shot attempts this season. And their last game that you referenced against the Las Vegas Aces, she had twenty eight points where she was 7 for 15 from the field. She paired that with 11 rebounds and 2 assists. She's usually floating around 2 to 4 assists a game. Mm-hmm. She's gotten a block in her last 7 games. In that game against the Aces, she had 3. Where we saw her make the biggest leap in that Las Vegas 
Ace's game was she went four for nine from three. I was just about to say she looked comfortable from behind the line. She's really struggled. Yeah, behind the arc. There we go. Really struggled to hit <laughs> long-distance shots this year. And you can tell that the coaching staff has made that a focal point for her to mm-hmm. try and shoot. Yeah. And she, it seems – it's not really like – when she was at Oregon, it seemed like it was always a product of the offense where she was getting it. A lot of it was catch and shoot, and a lot of it was, you know, one dribble shoot. Mm-hmm. A lot of what she's been taking um, this year has been a lot more created by herself – coming off of screens, things of that nature. It's a little bit different. The number one thing I would say, I watched a little bit of that Aces game. Her footwork just looks a lot better. Yeah. She looks a lot more comfortable because I think she just, again, getting adjusted to the speed of the game, your footwork has to change. You have to take out micro movements that don't serve you and replace them with ones that do. Mm-hmm. And you've seen her take those strides, I think, especially in that Aces game. And as a Sansu Sable stand, like that was something that I said. <laughs> Is, oh yeah, is, that was one of our good disagreements. Is going to come with her just being a gym rat, getting that pesky school stuff out of the way. You graduated Sawtu, good for you, congratulations. Yes. But I, I kind of get the feeling that she is a professional basketball player. School was something that she had to do to become a professional basketball player. Where you see other people, it's quite the opposite. Well, and similar to Sabrina, she has a lot of off-the-court interest. I mean, we've seen her do some modeling. We've seen her do some other things that she obviously is very interested in. And so when you're already an eclectic person and you have such crazy, passionate things, and then you have kind of school thrown on top of that, now when you're able to completely take that away. And we've mentioned this before. We, we knew the wobble environment was going to favor some of these younger players. Mm-hmm. One, just because of the way they're playing back to back to back, you know, day off, day off, day off, day off. Mm-hmm. But then also just the campus environment. This right. feels just like college to a lot of these girls. I mean, you're seeing, you know, Kennedy Carter was balling out. I mean, some of these Kennedy rookies, a real hoop. yeah, some of these rookies, some of these first and second year players are taking advantage of this Roger environment Wilson. because they feel comfortable yeah. in it. Yeah, absolutely. But so, and back to Satu, uh, just with some of the things they've been doing with her and I've seen her, you know, do better at and some of the things a little bit taking a couple steps backwards they've experimented getting her the ball in different spots mm-hmm. and some of that's in like the high pinch the extended wing and then on the block and i everywhere i've seen her get the ball she's exceeded my expectations except for on the low block and it's something that i feel like has to improve especially because i think that's where she's a mismatch nightmare she's the WNBA's unicorn there's not a lot of six four players that have basically guard Skills. I mean, is she, like Diana Taurasi, there's Candace Parker. Is she Parker. the perimeter version of Candace Parker? Well, so this is interesting. <laughs> I I see her as kind of like, with the way that she's paired with uh, Arike Agumawale. Nicely done. Thank you. Uh, I see her as this, like, Scottie Pippen, Lamar Odom player. Oh, I like it. And, like, the, the w- being paired with the true scorer, like Agumawale, like, she... Right now, they haven't exactly figured it out, mm-hmm. um, but she can step in and kind of like take over the slack in certain situations. We saw this a lot with Lamar Odom and Kobe Bryant. Be the second, the best scorer on that second unit, also. Mm-hmm. And then when the primary scorer is getting buckets, do the other thing. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think she has the skill. Very set. comfortable in that role. Yeah, to She's do very the other used thing. to being the Robin. Yeah, and yeah, and it's just like what her and Sabrina had at Oregon. Her and Erika just are like you see it at times, but the whole team needs to come together. I wish there was a little, a little bit more veteran leadership on that team, where they're the they're the youngest team in the WNBA, and, and then the, New York the Liberty, Liberty are the is the like, second. 
real, real close. Yeah, yeah. I like, thought the Liberty maybe were even the youngest, but I it's think right so. there. It, they're one and two. Yeah. I know that for sure. And they're like their average age is like 23. Yeah. Very, and you years. can see what they're trying to do. I mean, even the Liberty's coach is younger than I am. I mean, it's yeah. like, which is crazy, by the way. It makes me a little angry, but <laughs> like, well done, but still. But yeah, so we see the Chicago Sky are looking to, you know, improve and you know, make it into the playoffs where we might see Ruthie's minutes kind of disappear once they get into that playoff atmosphere. You never know with, you know, injuries and whatnot, but it seems like she might be, you know, odd man out with the roster rotation kind of being limited. A odd lady bit. out. Odd lady out. Did I say? Yeah, yeah. you said odd man out. Odd <laughs> one man out. And uh, just because I think she might be like the ninth player and I think they might use an, an eight person rotation. Yeah. Um, where, and then Satu, I think they're going to keep, as this season wraps up in these last seven games, they're going to find ways to get her more shots. I think her and Arika need to do some more pick and pop. I love I think it. I think that would be the way to kind of clear things up. And you didn't see Satu be a lot of this. She wasn't the main screen setter in Oregon's offense. Not a lot of I'd them at all. I'd really like to see her improve as a screen setter because yeah. I think that could unlock a lot of things for well, her. Well, they've almost pitched it, too, in an interesting way, in like a very spread, like Mike D'Antoni-style way, where they kind of hide Satu like way off ball in the corner. Yep. Let Arike do her thing, and then they kind of move her up, 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 up. And then what does upset me a little bit is Satu is getting the ball in a lot of really just, like, bad clock situations mm-hmm. where there's, like, you know, five on the shot clock when she's getting it. And for her skill set, she almost needs that extra second to kind of, like, rock the baby to sleep before mm-hmm. she can go to the She's cup. similar to CJ in that way, where if you get her the ball and she's defended, she needs a minute to put him in the spin cycle. Yeah, yeah, it takes a second to get all those <laughs> gears going, where it's not like, you know, Arike, you get her the ball and she can get that shot. She's already there. downhill or the shot's going oh, yeah, out. exactly. Yeah. But, you know, all good things to be to come there in Dallas. And we can't get through a WNBA segment without at least mentioning something about the mother of Ducklings. And I, this isn't something I talked to you about pre-podcast, but I just want to mention the fact that Sabrina is out of the wobble. Um, she posted something really Really sweet on her social where she was actually visiting with Vanessa Bryant and her daughters mm-hmm. for a couple days. Um, hopefully she's healing up well. You know, we, we know as a fan base she's going to attack that recovery like crazy. Even her dad set up something like that. I saw the tweet that you put out a couple weeks ago. So, Mother of Ducklings, we wish you well in your recovery. Please heal up fast because we want to see you back out on that hardwood. Get well soon. Absolutely. I mean, it was so special that very brief time that we got. It was tantalizing, Shane. It was tantalizing. And to be honest, I've had a hard time watching WMEA since because I was so invested I was I was going to watch every Liberty game this year right and I've, I've kind of dipped back in and dabbled a little bit but I was just my heart was broken a little bit you See, know I bought I bought the team league pass for the wings and so my phone gives me the updates when the game starts so I can just click and then I got the wings yep. games on my phone yep so well that's, that's, that's kind of us of too you know you were always more of a Satu guy <laughs> I was always more of a Sabrina guy so it's it's just it's going to be really fun to follow their journeys for their entire career no I matter actually, what I got in trouble about two weeks ago. Yeah, I, was at, I was at work and I mentioned the fact that I thought Satu was going to be better. Oh. And I had a woman just look me straight in the eyes and be like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you love sports takes. You love sports takes. Speaking of fun sports takes, and one of the big reasons I haven't been on Twitter much the past few days, um, obviously there is a, a movement going on right now in our country. Obviously there are a lot of injustices happening right now in our country. Um across the world honestly but we're, we're focusing on the United States because that's where we're at and that's where a lot of this stuff is really bubbling up right now um, but the NBA players in particular Giannis Antetokounmpo um, Fred Van Vliet and George Hill were some of the main vocal leaders I mean I know um, 
Jalen Brown was also kind of involved from yeah. behind the scenes on the Celtics side. But they really forced the issue here where the Bucks literally decided to boycott that game about 10 minutes before tip. They were in the locker room for two hours, and their boycott led to the Magic, the Orlando Magic, the team that was warming up out on the court, ready to play, led to them denying the forfeit, mm-hmm. saying we're not going to let you forfeit the game. We are also going to boycott and protest with you. The NBA got wind of that. They got wind of the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors basically planning to do the same thing. I heard about the Celtics Raptors first. Yes, yeah. and because Fred Van Vliet was very, very vocal early on in the process, but then I know George Hill and Giannis were the main leaders in the Bucks locker room that really led this charge. Jalen Brown had tweeted out after when, I mean, before the games had been announced they were being boycotted, that he tweeted out, "Let me out of here. Yeah, like I want to go protest yeah. with my people." Absolutely. Jalen Brown was very vocal after the George Floyd murder, uh, getting out in the streets. Classic and- story. Drove seven hours to be a part of the protest, mm-hmm. and it's just, I think, um, I think it was the Low podcast, the Zach Low podcast that I was listening Great to show. today, where Malika Andrews was on there and just brought up a really interesting element where a lot of these successful black athletes feel like you know why am i allowed to be here and be successful when i see so many other people that look like me out there struggling Mm -hmm. and those i mean obviously you know we're two white guys sitting in my condo right now discussing this but just trying to see it from that perspective you can understand the pain from um some of these i mean chris weber somebody that i don't like as an announcer as a commentator but almost breaking down in tears exactly the general but almost breaking down in tears on a broadcast Mm -hmm. kenny smith getting up and walking off of a broadcast um, if you don't listen to um, any of the Count the Ding stuff that I've talked about before, listen to um, the NBA show that they have with David Aldridge and Big Waz. Listen to David Aldridge and him and being interviewed by Sam Emick and just his pain and his anguish that he tried to articulate of what this community is feeling right now living in the United States of America. Doc Rivers. I mean, yeah, he, he might have had the best soundbite of all of it, you know? Me deeply. Absolutely. And I think if, if you aren't moved by something like that, regardless of your race, your creed, of where you come from, just check your pulse. Because these are people trying to articulate to you their pain, their anguish, the struggles that they face every day. And it's not up to you to decide if that's valid or not. Right. It's up to you on how you want to act afterwards. But it's not up to you to decide if it's valid or not. So I'm so tired. This is why I got off Twitter. I got so tired of all these people, all these untitled basketball players. What's it really going to do sitting out one game? Oh, you're just rescheduling one game. You know, small gestures lead to bigger ones. Small gestures lead to bigger moments and bigger movements. And this is the first time in our you know, age that we've ever seen anything like this. You know, we've seen it was something similar happened in the sixties, I believe in one of the NBA all-star games where at halftime they, you know, declined to come out unless they were given their pension plan that they'd been talking about. And this, so that's the only thing that kind of comes close. Well, and we've seen too in recent history uh, after the Donald Sterling incidents, we saw players regret Playing not in that taking game. further stances. Yeah, yes. I mean they like flipped their like warm ups inside out or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the specifics of what JJ they did. Reddick talked about that at length on his podcast and did a really nice job. And they so they regretted not taking more of a stand there. And then even before that, in a more a much bigger scale thing, after the Martin Luther King assassination, uh, I believe it was like the Lakers, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. They had planned to boycott the game after that, and instead. There was, I don't know what pressures were put on them. I'm guessing it's financial to go out, and they actually did play. And he talked about how, I think it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm pretty sure. Sounds right. Yeah, uh, talking about how much he regretted that and how much 
you know, going out and playing and being the distraction for the yes. event mm-hmm. is it, it is like it, it does take away from what's happening. I know in my I mean, like you said, we're two white guys. Yeah. I live in a little bit of a bubble of, you know, privilege and whatever, whatever else you want to call it. But I mean, it's my life. I don't know much else but it. Right. And I found myself not thinking about these things as much since basketball started. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, it, it really does take away from it. And especially like to say that, you know, we're not going to listen to how you feel about getting pulled over or leaving your house after the sun goes down or wearing a black hoodie outside of your own home, but then saying like, go out there and play, make sure you entertain us, but we don't care about you as a person per yeah. se. Well, I mean, we just care about what you do. When we've forgotten about Sterling Brown who's on that Milwaukee Bucks team, who was tased and detained for, like, I think having two dark... No, he parked in a handicapped spot. Which is messed right. up, but yeah. But it was 3 a.m. at a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Like, he's yeah. running in for two seconds. Right. Like, tased? Um, Mo Harkless telling his story of when he was in Portland getting pulled over. I mean, these stories go on and on and on and are retold in so many different ways, and that's why you saw the pain in Doc Rivers. And that's something that David Aldridge really articulated also, just the pain he feels from seeing the mothers and sisters get up and having to make these speeches after the fact, after watching their family member go through these heinous, violent, murderous acts. And it keeps happening. Yes. It just And that's the frustration. Over and over and over. Yeah. These aren't isolated incidents. The I mean the George Floyd murder was just something that was publicized more yeah. than other murders by yeah. police officers in because it was areas. on tape and that's and what... then these basketball players too they deal with this whole different flip of racism where now they're a black guy driving around in a nice car in a big city well that and the other thing this we'll tie this up with this little anecdote here but Andre Iguodala wrote a book that I didn't know existed and Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast too where he talks about being a black man standing on a basketball court in a tank top and shorts having 18,000 white people in Utah yelling at him with all kinds of vitriol and words and who knows the things that are coming out of their mouth just the the perspective and the the um the uh, primal kind of mindset that that almost puts you in it's like what am I really doing here Mm -hmm. you know and like I have to give it up to when I was a political scientist at the University of Oregon, Ken DeVois alluded to this at length about in our African-American studies class that was called African-American studies back then. This was in 2003. I'm old. But just how professional sports, professional sports have this this angle about them that a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't want to talk about where Mm -hmm. it's a lot of white owners and a lot of black athletes. And that's that's uncomfortable. And it should make you uncomfortable when these athletes are asking these billionaire owners to do something on their behalf and you have Tillman Fertitta cozying up to the president that we have in office right now mm-hmm. it's just the contrast and like you mentioned that the word dichotomy earlier it just fits so perfectly here like there's so many bigger things going on from sports but sports can still make an impact right sports can still have that message and so the NBA players have voted to continue playing games the governors are continuing to meet. There was a meeting in Orlando on Thursday night that went over three hours. LeBron James and several other athletes walked out of that meeting in anxious disgust. And I, you, a lot of you know my feelings on LeBron James, the basketball player. But I have the utmost respect for LeBron James, the person, the human being, mm-hmm. and for what he stands for and what he's been able to do for n- numerous communities off the basketball court. Those are two different things for me. Well, and like Bill Simmons, uh, he 
made like a term for it that I that I actually love. He says like I sports hate people. Yeah. Because that's how we feel. I mean, we don't hate LeBron James. Well, and I don't even like to use the word hate. It's like sports fandom. You know, it's just me being a fan. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, even when we say like, oh, you know, like that guy's this, that guy's that, we don't mean that guy, the human being. It's just the player Mm -hmm. and the part of it that we, as like, you know, quasi-media members, try and like, you know, kind of pick apart. or Which is a part of it, right? Uh Uh-huh. We're making these humans into characters in some ways. And that's like... If you have a hard time listening to this and kind of putting yourself in a situation where you see people like you being shot all across the all across America and you're stuck in this little bubble and other people that don't look like you are sitting at home watching you as a character, how's that going to make you feel? The frustration, I mean, these people, these men came back thinking that, you know, we're going to make a difference. You know, we're going to put Black Lives Matter on the court. We're going to put Black Lives Matter on our t-shirts. We're some of the most powerful black men in this country. We should be able to make change. And they just got reminded once again the other day of how far we still have to go. Well, and then if you ever, you know, find yourself in a situation thinking about like how much racism is there really in the world, because the NBA boycotted racism, people are now boycotting the NBA. And, And Major League Baseball and MLS. People are talking about not watching football now. It's an interesting time in our age. And I just hope that we can, instead of using hate to try to bridge some of these gaps and things of that nature again that's where the hippie comes out in me it's got to be through love and it's got to be through us gaining perspective (coughs) sorry i'm getting worked up over here gaining perspective and having conversations having uncomfortable conversations with ourselves having uncomfortable conversations with our family with our friends and like so many people have acknowledged it's not on the group of people that are being hated against to make the change it's on the people that look like shane and i Mm -hmm. that that need to make the change we need to as a group educate ourselves and learn how to love everyone in this world i mean i'm having a jackie moon moment right now everybody love everybody but that's really what's going to be the bridge that can that can get us over this yeah if you're ever wondering like what is it that i can do it's easy listen yes Yes, listen, have conversations, and listen with an open mind. Mm-hmm. Make sure your cup is empty when you come to some of these conversations. So yeah. I think that's a good way to end it. Um, thank you if you stuck around to the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, hi, Mom. Yeah, hi, Mom. Uh, hi, Dad. Appreciate you guys out there listening so much. Um, Shane and I really value having this platform, you know, speak to you. Um, so if you have something that you'd like, again, to hear us talk about, um, if you have a question for us, anything of that nature, please, you know, jump on the Twitter, jump on our IG, shoot us those DMs. Um, we try to be very responsive about that kind of stuff. And we want to get your guys' names on the podcast. Also guys and ladies, we definitely have a lot of those female flock fans out there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, so yes, please uh, give us a like, give us a share, give us a comment out there. We love you all. We out. Peace. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I give. Sorry. Do you want to dance? Huh? Do you 